following message is titled Face to Face with God. It was preached by Pastor Joel Tillis at Suncoast Baptist Church in Palmetto, Florida. For more information, visit suncoastbaptistchurch.org. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 32, verse number 30, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Note again, if you will, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob had stolen his brother's inheritance. Now, returning home, he receives word that Esau was coming for revenge. Twenty-one years had passed since that family split, since that division between those brothers. But though it had been 21 years, Esau had not forgotten. And Jacob could not outrun his past sins. Judgment was coming. But there, in that night, in the valley alone, worried about Esau, Jacob met God. Fearing Esau, he faced God, and his life would be saved. His life would be spared, and he would be forever changed, because he came face to face with God. The God he had heard about, the God he was familiar with, the God he had even talked to from time to time, now became the most important reality in his life. And what saved Jacob, and what changed his life, was a face-to-face -face encounter with Almighty God. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what salvation is. Salvation is not praying a prayer, or signing your name on a card, or being baptized in some baptistry, or going through some emotional event, or turning over a new leaf. Salvation is coming face to face with God. Salvation in Christ is a life-changing event that reshapes and redirects the entire being of a person. When Jacob came up out of that valley, he was a different man, never to be the same. Amen. And when a man or a woman or a young person encounters God face to face, they are never the same. Amen. I ask you one simple question this morning. Not if you're a Baptist. Not if you're a conservative. Not if you're a member of the NRA. Not if you're a red-blooded American that loves this country. And I don't ask you any of that. My question is, judgment is coming. And have you seen God face to face? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray now that you would help me to say the things that should be said. And nothing that should not. I pray that there would be a stillness in this room. I pray that there would be an uncomfortableness in this room. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that every single person in this room that does not know Christ as their Savior would not leave without trusting in Jesus. And I pray that every Christian in this room would catch a new vision of what we're doing. Not church building, not even fighting for our country, but standing in the gap for souls that must see God face to face or face hell. Father, bless this message for this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. What does it mean 
to see God face to face. What does that mean? I could stand here and elaborate on that for hours and hours and hours on end. But let me narrow that down to three simple statements of truth. What does it mean for a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to come face to face with God and be saved? To have their life changed, the entire course and direction of who they are so radically changed and altered that they are never the same person. What does it mean to come face to face with God? Let me say to you, first of all, that to come face to face with God, it means that the problems that you and I worry about and that often take center stage in our life, they become secondary to the one great problem that each of us face and that is our coming day of judgment with God. In other words, all of the things that we think, whether they be political or whether it be health or uh, maybe it might be something else going on, all of those begin to fade into the background because a man or a woman who has come face to face with God realizes and recognizes that one day they will stand you will stand before your Creator and give an account of yourself. That is the biggest thing facing anybody in their eternity, that you will meet your Creator and give an account of yourself. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You won't have your mom and dad there to help you and to justify you if you're a teenager. Uh, you won't have your spouse there to help you and to justify you. You won't have the preacher there to thumb through the Bible and come up with a Bible verse. There will be nobody but you and God face to face. That is what hangs over the head of every single person in this room. A day, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe 10 years from now. But sometime, the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die... And after that, the judgment. You have an inescapable date with God. You have an inescapable moment in eternity when you will face God and be judged. And beloved, that is the most important thing. And in all the religious world today and in all of our world, we have allowed that to be pushed off into the corner. And this morning there are churches that are worried about a lot of things. Some of them are good, some of them are not. Some of them are serious and some of them are not. But I don't care whether it's cancer or the next election, all of those are secondary because they're all temporal. Facing God and the ramifications of that judgment, sir, are eternal. And a man or a woman that has come face to face with God, who has truly been saved, there was a time in their life when they realized there is absolutely nothing of more importance than to make sure that I'm ready to meet God. Amen. Not long ago, I was asked to go preach a funeral. I had to fly up to Philadelphia and then cross over the river in the Delaware into New Jersey. And that's a double whammy. That's Sodom and Gomorrah <laughs> for a boy from North Carolina. But uh, Brother Rich had worked a deal and we had had some stuff and I got to fly first class. You talk about fancy pants. Not back there with the little people. Not having to search where to put my bag because people don't follow the rules about how, size, how the size of their carry-on should be. Not back there with the raff-raff. I'm in first class. 
I don't get the stale cookies and peanuts and pretzels that are actually just, just you know, mulch. I don't get that. I get the service in first class. I get to spread out and look fancy. And so I did, man. I got there and sat down. I was row one, seat uh, F or D, right up next to the window. Man, I was as fancy as I could get. And I sat there and they're doing stuff. And uh, 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 Mr. Tillis, may we take your coat? Uh, Why, yes, you may. Please do. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm so glad I wore a coat just to be able to hand them my coat. And I'll watch the wrinkles. Yes, Mr. Tillis, may we take your bag? No, I'll keep it here. I've got work to do. I didn't really, but I wanted to look fancy, you know, and everything like that. And uh, so I was so excited. First class. And uh, as we're getting ready to take off, and we took off the, 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 the guy, the lady, whatever, came on and said, listen, in, because of COVID rules, we'll not be serving any food or drink on this flight. And I was so angry. <laughs> now, I can't convey to you the depth of my anger. I was in first class. I got to fly into Philadelphia. That's bad enough. I got to drive into New Jersey. That's bad enough. We, we got this first class. What do you mean there's no food or drink? You don't serve them back there in the back with no food or drink, but you bless God, pull out some food for me and some drink. I'm first class. I'm going to be honest with you, beloved. I sat there and got downright angry. I'm, I'm being honest as a heart attack. You think I'm joking? I got so mad and aggravated until about, oh, I'd say about 30 minutes into it. I was just sitting there seething and all of a sudden, kaboom. We hit some turbulence. And the, the light came on and the camera said, listen, we're going to ask that you keep your seatbelt on. Everybody stay seated. And boy, did we hit. I don't know what was going on over the northern part of Georgia, but there was something up there in that air. And I mean, it was turbulent. And do you know, as that thing was bouncing back and forth, and I, I, like a, I like a roller coaster. It doesn't bother me a bit, but I don't like a roller coaster at 35,000 feet. Can I get a witness right there? And did you know that as that thing was bouncing around and shimming around, all of a sudden, I didn't care about the meal. I didn't care about the drink. I didn't care about the peanuts. I didn't care where I was seated. <clears throat> the only thing that came into my mind was just get this thing safely on the ground. Amen. Now, listen to me very closely. There are some of you in this room that you're worried and consumed about a lot of things. And some of them may be legitimate, and some of them may not be legitimate. But there is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. I said absolutely nothing more important than the fact that you be prepared to meet your God when you die. Amen. Judgment is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Judgment is coming. The most important issue that you face is your judgment day before God. All else pales. The reality that you will face Almighty God and be judged for your sins. You see, Jacob saw only Esau, but God saw Jacob. You can only see what's going on in the problems of your life, but God sees you. You can only look at the news and see those horrible sinners out there, but God sees your horrible sin. That's right. The reality is, is that all those things are irrelevant before the fact that you and I will face the judgment of God. So much so that the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Have you seen God face to face? Have you seen God face to face? 
So my parents are saved and I made a profession of faith at camp somewhere. It's not what I asked. I asked you, have you seen God face to face? Well, preacher, you know, I, I was going through some rough times, but, but God really came in and, and got me through that divorce. That's not what I asked. I asked you, have you seen God face to face? A man or a woman that has seen God face to face is scared. They're fearful because they know there's a judgment coming. And let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, that that's something that we've lost in our churches. We've lost the fear of God. God is not a trite God, and not as God is not an ugly God. And I stand here as a trophy of the grace of God and the love of God, and I thank God for that. But the Bible says, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. And I ask you this morning, was there a time when you came face to face with God? That is what it means to truly be saved. Like Jacob, you realize your biggest problem is not Esau. Your biggest problem is God. And that brings me to the second thought. And that is that not only is a man or a woman who has encountered God to the saving of the soul, not only have they realized that there is a judgment that they will face before God, but they recognize that they are a sinner and cannot save themselves before that holy God's judgment. It is not just the awareness that you're going to face God, but a person who has truly been saved becomes keenly aware that there is no escape for their sins before that holy God. The Bible says in the book of Romans, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Revelation chapter 21 puts it even more specific. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. You see, when a man encounters God and comes face to face with God, he sees himself before God and he sees his sinfulness. Listen to me. His sin before God becomes a staggering reality that shatters his life. You don't just see yourself as a few mistakes. I've talked with people before and I'll say, uh, have you ever told a lie? I say, well, who hasn't told a lie? That's not really the question. The question is not if you've told a lie. The question is, or rather the statement is, you are a liar. Someone who tells a lie can stop telling a lie, but someone who is a liar can never stop being a liar. Someone who is a thief may stop stealing certain things, but they're still a thief at heart. They're still a fornicator at heart. They're still a drunkard at heart. They're still a drug addict at heart. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's why all of the things that modern Christianity offers fails because none of it touches the heart. Education can't touch the heart. Psychology can't touch the heart. Economics can't touch the heart. The Bible says the heart, your heart, is desperately wicked. And it is only God Almighty that can save the sinner's heart. You know, the truth of the matter is, as you get older, sin gets harder. There are older people in this room that you don't sin anywhere near like what you're used to. You know why? Because you've gotten older and sin that, that hangover hurts a lot more. That sin hurts a lot more. 
You've gotten a little bit wiser. You've gotten a little bit stronger. But, you've gotten the, but the fact of the matter is the sinner's heart is still the same. Listen, I was talking with one of our highfalutin officials the other day and I said the problem in our county is a heart problem. And I said, you take a man that's driving back from work and he drives down 14th Street and he sees a pimp and a John and, and, and a prostitute and he drives by and shakes his head and the man said, yes, uh, we should do something. I said, no, you're missing the point. I said, he drives by and shakes his head and says, what a shame, what a shame, that's so awful. And then he goes home and has supper and his wife goes to bed and his kids go to bed and he pulls out that phone and stares at pornography for the, for the next hour. It's a more sophisticated way of sinning, but the heart is still wicked. And you might not do the same sins you used to, but ladies and gentlemen, a man or a woman who has encountered God, they are shocked by their sin. The weight of their sin is heavy. They don't just feel that they've made some mistakes. They say like Paul, woe is me. That is the mark of a man or a woman who has encountered God. I remember years ago I was preaching in a church in Orlando and when I finished preaching, the pastor gave the altar call and prayed just as I am and nobody came and he felt self-conscious and wanted more people to come and finally there was a little teenage girl. Maybe she was 14, 15, 16, got out about halfway back in the sanctuary and started walking down the aisle was kind of smiling and chewing gum and I didn't say anything. When she walked all the way down, just kind of smiled and, and was chewing gum, even blue, but yeah, signed it. And so I said, this, this young lady's come and trust your Christ as her Savior. And I sat up there on the platform and I didn't say a word. What in my church, what in my call, what in my direction. But I thought in my mind, God have mercy on her. She's no more saved than Adolf Hitler. You don't pop bubble gum when you come to God. You don't smile when you come to God. Beloved, I know this is not a popular message. We may not have it. Mind be preaching just to me and my wife here before too long. But the God of this Bible is still the God that's on the throne today. He will not countenance sin. He's a fearful God. And yes, He loves you. But He hates sin. God hates sin. God hates sin. And when a man or a woman realizes that they're a sinner, they don't come bouncing down the aisle. They crawl down that aisle as that publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what's in their heart. And that's why churches are filled up with backsliders. They never got slid forward in the first place. That's why you can't give the, get the average Christian to give. That's why you can't get the average person in a pew to do anything for God. They feel like they're doing God a favor by showing up. My dear friends, you're not doing God a favor. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. And God sent His Son for you. But don't mistake that. Don't think that you can just trust it and just go down the line and say, well, I, I'll give it a shot. No, sir. No, when a man has come face to face with God, his world is shattered. Because a man or a woman or a teenager spends their entire life trying to justify that they're not as bad as their conscience and a preacher and the Holy Spirit tell them that they are. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I remember years ago when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, we were playing tennis a couple days before. We went, I can remember the doctor's name. She went and had a procedure done and we were waiting for the reports. And do you know what we did between the time that we got the test and the time that we went to see the reports? Because we did what everybody did. It's probably not that. It's probably not that. Probably maybe just calcification. 
maybe just some mis- you know, like, and we even had friends that came by. I remember one friend came by and sat down and, and said, listen, there's just no way at your age, you're 32 years old, it's just not, it's something else. But I'm going to tell you something, if you pulled my wife aside this morning and asked her, she'd tell you that before she even went and had the test, there was something way deep down in her heart, she felt, this is, this is cancer. But we spent the next three, four, five days convincing ourselves six ways to Sunday it had to be something else. But when we sat in that room, and that doctor took that x-ray and stuck it up there and took his pin out and tapped that screen. He said, you see that? You see that? You see that? Ladies and gentlemen, the weight of the world came crashing into that room Nothing else mattered. Nothing else was concerned. We recognized that we had a problem that we could not escape. Hear me this morning. I'm glad you've come to Suncoast Baptist Church. I'm glad you like me. But you're not looking at a political preacher. You're not looking at a cause preacher. You're looking at a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may like my conservative views and die and go to hell. Unless Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And my dear friend, listen to me. There's coming a day when you're a teenager or you're a young lady, or you're an older man, or you're a senior lady, but you meet Almighty God in your judgment day, and you've spent your entire life trying to convince yourself that you're not as bad as that drunkard down on 14th Street. You're not as bad as the whoremongers and the Lyle of this world, but you're not going to be judged according to them. You will be judged by God's standard of righteousness, and you can justify yourself decade after decade after decade after decade. The time will come when you will be sitting in God's examination room and God Almighty will take that x-ray of your heart and the x-ray of your soul and he'll say, do you see that black sin right there? Do you see that lie right there? Do you see that lust right there? Do you see that coveting right there? Do you see that blaspheming right there? And my dear friend, that's what the Holy Spirit does to a sinner. They see themselves as God sees them. Not as you want to see yourself. A man or a woman who has encountered God face to face knows that there is a judgment coming. Secondly, they know that they can't escape that judgment. They see God, they see themselves as God sees them. Have you seen God face to face? Maybe you didn't say it quite the way that I said it. Maybe you didn't have the boisterous emotions, but somewhere in the caverns of your soul there was a day, there was a time, there was a moment in your life when you realized, I'm going to have to face God. And when I face God, I'm a sinner. There's no escape. There's no dipping or getting around it. The x-ray has been taken. The facts are in. And I'm a guilty, godless, hell-bound sinner. That's what a man face to face with God has had. But lastly, let me say that a man or a woman that has come face to face with God, they not only know that there's a judgment of God, they not only know that they're going to fail that judgment, but may I say to you, coming face to face with God means that that sinner flees to Jesus as the absolute and only hope for salvation. Jacob was trying to hold on to everything that he had. His wife, his children, his career, his money, his cattle, 
He was trying to hold on to everything that he had. But if you'll go back in your own time and read, you'll find that when he really gets to the bottom, he clings to the angel of the Lord. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. And says, I will not let thee go. You may take my business. You may take my life. You may take everything in between. But I need you and I need you alone. And I will not let thee go. And my dear friend, that is the testimony of somebody who has come face to face with God, face to face with their sin, and face to face with Jesus Christ. They're not clinging to the Baptist church. They're not clinging to a commitment that they made in an emotional moment in their life. They have come to see Jesus as the only hope that they have. And they wrap their arms around Him. The arms of their soul wrap around Christ and say, I will not let thee go. You must save me that. That's what it means to be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. 1 John chapter number 5 says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Have you seen face God face to face? Then Jesus Christ is at the center of your life. Listen to me, beloved. I meet people all the time and talk with people all the time in this generation that give testimony of being saved. You sit down with somebody and say, listen, do you know the Lord? Are you a Christian? And they'll say, yep, yep, I know the Lord. Now their life doesn't reflect that at all. I'm not saying that a Christian is perfect, but I'm telling you this, ladies and gentlemen, when you get saved, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It might not happen overnight. I've told you the story before that when I got right with God, I was a bartender, waiting tables and a bartender. It was nothing for me. I, I'd just soon go and grab a bottle of bourbon, early times, and, and uh, Jack Daniels, Southern Covenant. I'd just drink a bottle of that. Had no problem whatsoever. When I got right with God, I had a Bible that I had stolen from a hotel room somewhere, a hardback Gideon Bible. And boy, when I got right with God, I went home Bible in one hand and a fifth of whiskey in the other and sat down getting right with God. And do you know that I've told you before that that just didn't work? I didn't have to go to a Bible study program. I didn't need a, 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 a small group. I didn't need any of that. I had the Holy Spirit on the inside. And when I was reading that Bible and I took a drink, the Holy Spirit in my heart said, No! I tried it a second time and he said it a little bit louder. I thought, you know what? I don't think the, Lord, the Lord's a bourbon man. I don't think he wants me drinking whiskey or bourbon. So I did the next best thing. Next night I went home and I got me a 12-pack of, of, of beer. I thought, well, I'm not going to do cheap. I'm not going to I got some expensive beer. I'm a Christian now. I can't do that. Pops Blue Ribbon stuff. And some of you back here know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a Baptist church. You know, when I started drinking that beer, the Holy Spirit said no again. Well, he did turn water into wine. That's what I thought. And a couple days later, I thought, well, I'm going to go home and read my Bible. I'll get me a big old bottle of wine. Not going to get that cheap stuff now. I'll get... And the Holy Spirit said, no. You know, I didn't have to have anybody tell me. I got saved and the Holy Spirit of God took up residence. And when I thought, you know what? Let me just get me some Dr. Pepper. The Holy Spirit said, that dog will hunt right there. Amen. You can read your Bible and drink Dr. Pepper all you want. The doc might not like it, but I'm for it. Amen. God bless you. What happened? I got saved. 
I got born again. I saw God's judgment. I saw my sin. And when I ran to Jesus Christ, nothing else mattered. Not money, not fame, not anything else that the world has to offer. I didn't care what my friends thought. I didn't care what my buddies thought. I knew that I needed a Savior, and I fled to Jesus Christ. And in my heart, in so many words, I said, I will not let thee go. And the great thing about it was, even if I tried to let go, when I came to Jesus, he said, I will never let go. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what it means to come face to face with God. It means that Jesus is at the center of your testimony. And I hear people testify all the time. They talk about how they had an emotional experience. Or they talk about something that happened at a camp. Or they talk about a prayer that they prayed or a feeling that they had. But it lasts that long. And they walk out the door and do their own thing. Brother, if you can talk about your testimony of salvation for more than two or three or four or five minutes and you can't get to Jesus Christ, you don't have New Testament salvation. Brother, when that thief on the cross died that day and he said, Lord, will you remember me? And Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I have a funny feeling maybe that he might have even died before Jesus did. And when he came knocking at the gates of paradise, there might have been somebody standing there and said, hey, what are you doing here? We know that you're a thief and we know that you're a liar and we know that you're a drunkard and we know that you're a fornicator. What are you doing here? What have you got to bring? And maybe he had a little, a little token of prophecy and quoted that precious hymn that says, in my hand, no price I bring, simply to the cross do I cling. I'm here because that guy up there on the cross, I believe he's Jesus. I believe he's the Savior of the world. I believe he's the Lamb of God. I believe he's the bread of life. I believe he's the water of life. I'm trusting in him to save my soul. And those pearly gates of paradise swung wide open, and that thief was just as welcome as Joshua. That thief was just as welcome as Moses. That thief was just as welcome as Abraham. Why? Because it's not Moses, and it's not Abraham, and it's not Joshua. It's Jesus Christ that is the Savior of the soul. Amen. And when you die, he won't say to you, were you a good man? Were you a conservative man? Did you vote, ma'am? Did you go to Suncoast? No, when you die, the question will be, what are you clinging to? And any answer other than Jesus is certain damnation. Well, my parents are saved. Can't cling to them. My husband is saved. Can't cling to him. My wife drags us to church and I come and I bear with it. And, and I was... A, no, can't cling to her. You and God face to face and your sins. And it's Jesus or damnation. Only Jesus can pay your sin debt with His precious blood. Only Jesus can change your sinful heart with His precious blood. Only Jesus can free you from sin's bondage with His precious blood. That night when the death angel came, there in Egypt, as those Hebrew families huddled in their home, and the moans of a nation facing the judgment of God begin to reverberate up. 
I imagine maybe some of those children and even a wife got a little nervous. They said, Daddy, I can hear the screams. Daddy, are we going to be okay? And that daddy was able to scrape his shoulders up that night and say, we'll be okay. Because we have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And God gave us a promise, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And my dear friend, I've preached funeral after funeral after funeral. I've been in the room as people have died and drawn their last breath. I've stood in ICU unit rooms where people have clawed at eternity and tried to escape their destiny. I've been in hospice where people have withered away into the world beyond. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, when your day comes and you might be the strongest and most healthiest man in this room, you might be the strongest and most healthiest woman in this room, but there'll come a day when if it's not me, it'll be another pastor that will stand over your body. But all that we will have to say at that point will be irrelevant because it's not where your body is, it's where your soul is. And when God's angel comes to your soul, the question will not be, are you a Baptist? The question will not be, are you a member of the NRA? The question will not be, are you a good person? The question will be, do you have the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse your soul? Teenager, have you seen God face to face? Ma'am, have you seen God face to face? Sir, have you seen God face to face? Senior, have you seen God face to face? Have you encountered God in a saving way that changes your life? Have you seen God face to face? Is your life preserved? If it is, do you understand what this is all about? Do you understand why the choir sings? Why we have the evangelism and why we do what we do? Because out there today are millions upon millions upon millions hurtling themselves into hell. And they need a church that's not worried about how big our budget is, but how big our God is. But if you're here this morning, I'm asking you, will you give your heart to Christ? You say, my wife thinks that I'm saved. If she thinks that and you get truly saved, she'll be doubly happy. Amen. Well, my, my parents think that I'm saved. Or maybe if I get saved, I'll have to give up and change my life. Listen, what in this world would you trade? What is of more value than the fires of hell? I would wade through blood. I'd wade through anything I had to to get to Jesus Christ. Jacob was no longer worried about Esau. And you shouldn't be worried about your friends. And you shouldn't be worried about holding on to your sins. And you shouldn't be worried about what you think. This morning, as God is my witness, I plead with you where you're sitting. Don't just like coming to Suncoast because we're the only church that stays open. And we got a preacher that tells it like it is. You can like me and like this church and like the music and like the preaching and still die and go to hell. What you need is Jesus. Have you seen God face to face? Young lady, have you seen God face to face? Sir, have you seen God face to face? I have seen God face to face. And my life is preserved.